welcome to another episode of the Reimagining Work podcast. Before we start the show, I need to mention that we recorded this episode uh, via Blab. And although we do like the service and the integration with Twitter, technically there were a couple of hiccups during our recording. Somewhere down the line, we lose Anne for a moment, and at the end, uh, we lose me altogether. Um, however, I do urge you to listen to this podcast. Uh, our guest is Anne McCrossan. It's a very rich conversation about the future of humanity uh, during our digital transformation. It's well worth the listen. Um, I'm just going to shut up and let you enjoy it. Uh, just mind the technical glitches down the line. Welcome to episode 32 of the Reimagining Work podcast. And we're pleased to have another special guest with us this week. We're having, having conversation with Anne McCrossan. And Anne is somebody who is uh, multi-talented, and I'll let her sort of say a little bit about that as the conversation unfolds. Um, I know Anne um, does some work with her company, Visceral Business. I also know Anne is uh, very talented with um, artistic uh, media. Um, and she's somebody who I uh, really enjoy um, having conversations with, and I enjoy what she writes, and I enjoy what she has to offer the world. So welcome to our conversation, Anne. Hello. Hi, both of you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, as, as a start off, I, I mean, I, I kind of heard something recently that when you, when you kind of get together with people, don't ask the question, what do you do? So I'm not going to ask what do you do. <laughs> I think for the benefit of our listeners, it would be far more interesting just to say something about what, what is your passion? What gets you out of bed? What drives you? And there could be many things I know from, from what I know of you. Uh, yes, you would be right. Um, it, when you told me that you, you might ask this question to start with, I was thinking, goodness me, what would I actually, how would I sum that up? I mean, what drives me is the fact that I think that I've always been very conscious we have unlimited time um, on this planet. And my my aim from a very young age was, that, you know, when I finally popped my clogs to live a full um, and rich life and to and to use each day that I have exploring as many things as possible. So I suppose that's been really what's underlined my quest, if you like, through life is to um, use the curiosity that I was um, given uh, to explore it as much as possible. And within that, to create some sort of synthesis, both for myself and also with people around me, um, which makes a difference, you know, which makes a difference. Well, I think we're all looking for a sense of synthesis. Um, I feel quite blessed to have been born at a time of just phenomenal change. Um, true. You know, this is a very exciting time to be alive. Absolutely. Um, and, and to be able to mark what I see as a very important historical chapter between uh, humanity as an analog species to a digital species um, is, is it really colors a lot of the work that I do. And within that, um, our role as workers and makers and creators is particularly important to me. Mm. When, when you, because uh, the title of the, the podcast is Reimagining Work, so really what we'd like to do is to, to be quite open and um, divergent about and kind of reimagine, which gives us lots of license. Um, can you say a little bit more about where, in terms of humanity as a digital species, where are we along that line, do you think? Well, um, 
I, I think it's incredibly early days. Mm. If we imagine that this thing is not going to go back in a box, you know, we're not going to be um, without the internet. We're not going to unplug all the wires now. Uh, Kevin Kelly, uh, a man who I greatly admire, said a few years ago, you know, the world is getting wired up and we're only going to do it once. So let's do it as well as we can. Um, the internet is 26 years old now, I think just about. Um, in the scale of what will be its future lifespan, that is an infinitesimally tiny amount, I would wager. Right. Um, if, if we, if we sort of talk about civilization, as, as you know, I have done um, a starting at roughly 3,500 years BC um, to now. We, we've got a, a five-year chapter of, of analog existence. Let's assume that the digital one has that longevity. We haven't used up all the resources in the next 200 years. Um, I, think, I think that we have a, a fairly infantile attitude and relationship oh, yeah. with the wired world at the moment. Yeah, we, we are... I mean, we're just learning to uh to use digital um well we're not even there yet we're not even we're just using digital as a replacement for analog so we're still using uh, uh we're writing blog posts as if they are an article in a printed magazine uh that's how we used to think about it. we think analog we type analog it, it, it's it's all it's it's digital. I mean, it's electronic, but it's not really digital. So we're still in an analog mindset, and that's going to take a generation or two or three to get rid of, I guess. So and here's the here's the thing for me. It's like a bit like you know when you wave a rattle in front of a baby and go, oh look at this, look at this. You know, we are dealing with this massive shift in our attention. Um, we used to have a very different environment that we existed in before we didn't have screens. Um, what we look at in terms of human projection, you know, both how it's much easier to fix the world out there rather than look at ourselves and projection through the screens that we engage with, um, all of these different things. How we, how we focus and matter and make a difference in a world where we're all units of one um, and there's that sort of granularity that we didn't have before. But I think we're grappling with that because when somebody says, this is a great link or 10 things you need to know now or you wouldn't believe what happened next or any of these things, mm. our attention wavers. It's, it's shot to bits a lot of the time. Um, and, and yet we are, uh, I think, in a world where the challenge is to really understand our purpose and to understand how we can create value uh, in a purposeful way in organizations which are much more fluid, much more networked, um, much more permeable, um, and to realize, you know, who we are in, in that picture. So just just then that, that one example, Rokia, you said we're using, we write blog posts as if they're magazine articles, and, and you, you nodded your head. And I listened to that, and I go, yeah, what else would there be? So if you could both kind of take me, because I, I think you're both familiar with my I, I think I'm on even smaller baby steps than you. I use I use technology because it's 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 handy, it's useful, and I can do these sorts of things. But I haven't even got an imagining of what it might be if I didn't write blog posts. If it was a magazine magazine article, like just take that one that one sliver of of the of the digital world. How might it be? How 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 do you reimagine it could be if I wasn't doing that? If we weren't reading things like that. I can't conceive of anything else apart from that. I well, read and I write like magazine articles. For, for for me, it's uh, it. I mean, it was a kind of a generalization because there is an inherently different way to actually write a blog post as opposed to an article in a magazine. Uh, because 
you write shorter, you write more condensed, you have bigger headlines, you have shorter paragraphs, and those kind of things because people read differently on the on, on a screen than they do in a magazine. Mm. So, having said that, uh, there are a lot of websites who still make the layout exactly as a magazine because they want to reflect that magazine kind of thing. So when I write a 2,000-word blog post, I get comments that you and I have mentioned, and I think you used the expression one time when we were speaking, too long, didn't read. And I saw, I saw a couple of folks having a debate in the comment section of one of my blog posts where somebody said that, and the person that he, he was conversing with, who he'd actually recommended to read it, said, well, don't read it then if it's too long. And my response is the same. It's like, well, I've got 2,000 something of, sure. of my humanity to express. If it's too long, don't read it. It's an inconvenience. Well, don't read it. Go somewhere else. That, for me, is the beauty of, of the internet, that there's a whole range of things that people could read. If they want to read a two-sentence blog post, they can do that. I'm going to write my 2,000 ones if it feels like that's what I moved to write. Like, where, where, is, where is the, um, where's the restriction in that? <laughs> Why can't I... Just because I've got people saying too long to read. It's not about being allowed or disallowed to do anything. I mean, that's the beauty of the whole thing. You can do whatever it is that you want. Um, That's the point for me, yeah. It is, but I was was referring more to a different state of uh, mind, whereas uh, how else can you convey that message other than writing a 2,000-word article? Mm Mm-hmm. Right, you can. Do- There's definitely um, a, a sort of a, a way of being able to create cognition and expression, mm-hmm. which we're beginning to play around with that we didn't have the opportunity to do before. Yeah. So, how how we create an economy of of understanding, how we convey ideas, whether they're long or short, mm-hmm. actually doesn't matter so much yeah. to me. It's just it's just that we are being able to play and experiment with new ways of communicating right. and new forms of self-expression and the protocols will shift and change. Um, I, I think that it's um, as helpful to create brevity and succinct communication as it is unhelpful to go, I'm sorry, I'm too busy to take in a, a nuanced thought right now. Yeah. Um, but it is it is a really powerful time for self-expression and for those uh, innovators who can communicate their identity and their personality and their story and their narrative in ways where you 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 want to connect with them at a level which you wouldn't have had access to before with the web is is really what excites me about it Mm. so at that point you just made there about the the um uh learning new ways to be uh expressing ourselves with different uh, uh, you know brevity or not brevity or that's one of the exciting things about it is that you know for example the formality of of sending a message has kind of gone with with having different kinds of instant messaging um, services and things, and that I find exciting. But it mm-hmm. feels like I don't want to replace I don't want to replace uh, one set of dogma with another set of dogma. I guess is my point, and say that well, this is the internet age. Make it short. And I think, well, like you said, it, there there is a there is a time and a place for something long and 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 poetic, and you know. Uh, and there's also a time and a place for something brief. And if you've got a point make, that you want to make, make it punchy. You know, there's different yeah, ways yeah. of expressing it. I guess that's what I'm saying is I don't want another set of rules to replace an old set of rules, which we're already finding kind of reach their mm-hmm. shelf life in the digital world. And like you say, we're finding our way through it still. But that's the point is that we are all finding our way and we have to negotiate how we yes. do that, don't we? 
Yes, absolutely. There was a very interesting program uh, that I caught a little bit of yesterday about vloggers on the BBC. Um, and when you think about the, the number of blogs and vlogs and the amount of content that we're all putting up, I mean, we're drowning in it. There's, there's more content than we've ever had in, in, our, in our universe. How we divine truths out of that and, and what we do with it all. For me, that's the big thing is, so what do we do with all this? Mm. What, what palpable differences do we make as a result of this kind of expression, which is good and it's very healthy? Uh, if we were talking about reimagining work, and just before we started um, this, you sort of said, well, we might talk about, well, you know, how might you imagine work? Mm. My response to that will be, well, for a start, I wouldn't put work at the center of it. I'd put people at the center of it. So how we uh, use that sense of um, ourselves to create meaningful work experience and, and to look at all the problems that need solving mm. and all the value that we can create in a way that's not uh, bounded by an antiquated um, sense of, of what work is, I think would be the starting point. And part of that is about being able to connect and share ideas and uh, inspire people and uh, lead uh, new opportunities and open up new avenues uh, through the way that we have narratives like this. Do you have um, a sense of what that may look like? Uh, or, or have you got experiences of, say, folks you're working alongside or with where that new picture of work is emerging and people are getting a little excited and experimental. Like I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really excited by all that redefining what work actually is mm-hmm. and putting humans at the center. There's a, there's a couple of ways I could um, look at that. I'm very excited by things like the, you know, global sustainable goals, for example, at that very big macro level. And as you know, I love looking at macro level things with connected housing and and the social charity studies and stuff. Um, You know, if we were to uh, envisage uh, where the biggest problems are and how we could create value by solving them, I mean, essentially, that's what marketing has always been about. You know, that's what the first companies were created to do was to to identify and meet needs. So I don't see the organisation's the organization, the way we organize uh, in, t- in tomorrow's world as being that different from the way we've always done it. It's just that we've got a global joined up connected picture with which to think about how we do organize. So things like Grameen have been very you know, useful, what Mohammed Yunus has been doing and thinking about when he talks about social enterprise and alleviating poverty, for example. I think that's that's a brilliant place to start because it looks at micro entrepreneurship. You know, he is very dismissive about the idea of employment. He says, no, no, no. Employment is not the answer. Looking at the job figures for any particular national economy is not the answer. What we need to be stimulating is micro entrepreneurship. And I would totally agree with him um, on that. I think that we are all units of one. Um, that's why Simon and I are looking at the self-agency because, you know, it is it is shocking to me, to be honest, how much sense of individual agency has been stripped back um, within organizations so that the, the primary function is to fulfill the KPIs to meet to meet the very um, strict parameters of the job description, which do not um, incentivize people to hop over and look at connected disciplines or, or people you know outside of their department. So we've got this kind of recursive problem happening in that we know digitally just the science, you know, you get more potency where nodes 
um, exist and where different streams of thought interconnect. But uh, job descriptions and KPIs do not encourage people to go beyond their very narrow sense of, of what they're supposed to do. Uh, I think we've got to bust that one wide open. And, um, you know, I, I love doing social network analysis within organisations to look at the networks within organisations where the catalysts are, what the various um, dispositions are of, of people, you know, within the network, hotspots, cold spots. All the greatness in history comes from those exciting hotspots of innovation, you know, from the Petrachevsky Circle to the Bloomsbury Group, um, where you get a committed group of engaged individuals working together. Um, I think Clay Shirky talked about it, never underestimate the power of a few sure. um, passionate people in a, in a room together. Yeah. That, to me, is what it's all about. Now, when we channel that energy, and it is a fantastically exciting energy, I've been very fortunate to work with some great teams in my in my working life. When we channel that um, in the pursuit of challenging problems, we can do a whole heap and we can create a whole amount of value. And when you look at the entrepreneurs that are shaking up the world today, you know, people like Elon Musk, um, you know, he started with a blank canvas. He hasn't started with a legacy program. He hasn't started looking at safe incremental change. He's taken, yeah, and he said it very, very publicly several times. He looked at, well, what are the big problems here? And what can I do about it? And I, I, I like looking at things like housing and food and, you know, food chains and sustainability and things like that and go, okay, so what's going on here? Who's who's making a difference? What's not happening? And, and how can we help it happen? Mm. Mm. I, I absolutely. Um, I'm fascinated just listening as you <laughs> as you speak. I can I can hear and feel the energy that that drives you. You know, and like you said, you know, get, get a bunch of passionate people together in a room. Just what happens is you know beyond what we can imagine. I, I agree with that. I'm thinking what there's there's two things that are kind of sitting in my head. I'm thinking about the folks by and large, most folks who are doing drudgery work. And they hear those sorts of things and they read those sorts of things and they go, yeah, but what about me? How do I do that? And then I think, well, then there's the energy that you, that you um, embody just as you were speaking there that any, anybody listening could also feel. What is it in you that's kind of lit fire? Like there is something about, you know, what's in us that lights that fire and that makes us think like Elon Musk and goes, there's a big problem and I want to get in and get stuck in and solve it. We've got mortgages, we've got, you know, we've got bosses. We do have KPIs. There's that, all those layers of things that just keep us yeah, it, it's you know, more like slaves, I suppose, to an old way of being. How do we kind of make that leap? It can sound impossible for so many folks. If you have, if you talk about, uh, like, what, how do you call them? Like one-person entrepreneurs, micro-entrepreneurs? Micro-entrepreneurs. Micro I, mean, like, I mean, that translates very quickly to freelancers. But you can be a micro entrepreneur within a company, right? I mean, you can be in working for a company if you just full time and still be an entrepreneur. Uh, it's just a different kind of entrepreneur. But and I, well, I don't want to answer your question, or you, and you can answer the question. But the the first thing that comes to mind with me is just educate yourself, learn a skill, and take it from there, right? and try to differentiate yourself from the person next to you. Well, differentiation is important. It doesn't matter whether you're a multinational corporate or an individual 
differentiation is at the heart of it. I've I've done a lot of corporate strategic positioning work in my time. And, you know, you always start with some sense of differentiation. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who've gotten rich off the whole me too idea, you know, uh, find a market leader and copy it mercilessly. But actually, from a sustainable point of view, I mean, I'm a huge fan of differentiation and diversity. To go back to your question, um, John, so for, for how does this work for the people doing the, the drudgery? Well, you know, I would just say, forget that. That's going to be automated. You do not want to sure. be, you know, sort of thinking too far ahead, yeah. um, thinking that you're going to be Where useful. Where it going to be in five years' time? Uh, yeah, exactly. The drudgery. So, so take that as a cue. Well, the work, the drudgery, you know, I mean, it's our choice, isn't it? Yeah. We can kind of wait or we can do something about it. The drudgery is good. It's good to make the drudgery obsolete, but it comes back to this essential point, you know, you, what, what are you about? You know, what turns you on? I, I had to spend quite a lot of time thinking about that in my early, in my early days. Um, I've always been um, interested in, in a really core root sense of identity, uh, you know, the human, uh, the human and, and our own sense of integrity that what we bring is, is, you know, what, what only we can do. And I, I've been very lucky in that my life experience have, have, have taught me over and over and over and over again. When you get to that truth, uh, you're in a great place because individuals are absolutely, you know, unparalleled. When, when famous people die, we know we'll never see their like again. Uh, and so it is true for the, the really connected individual at, at a soul level who is, you know, pursuing a purpose. Now, the hard part is that at school, we're not taught to really liberate and find this stuff. At work, you know, if we're lucky and we've got a benevolent boss who is interested in personal development, then yes, and I was. Um, but a lot of people don't do that. So there is this kind of opportunity and this challenge. And, and I would say, you know, a massive call for people to go, right, let's skip all the baggage. Let's skip all the kind of things that I'm supposed to be doing. What am I about? And then, well, how can I pursue a blend of these interests that I can get good at? You know, you really have to yeah. put your shoulder in. This isn't about just thinking, oh, I'd really like to be a pop singer. Right. Or, you know, this, you've got to really put your shoulder in to find out what it is that you do. And, and, you know, the, the great thing, the absolutely brilliant thing is that in a digital environment, people's feedback will help. You, yeah. you know, so I, I started, as you probably know, with um, the Tribes Project in 2008 in earnest. That was my first digital experience with Seth Godin, who mentored me on a personal level brilliantly. But I was holding a lot of discussions in, in the Tribes community that he set up, um, going deep into sort of inquiries about groups and communities and practices and, and, you know, collaboration and stuff like that. And the feedback I got from people really helped me find my compass and through my life since that point in time it's feedback from other people being open and, and receptive and you know to some extent vulnerable because we can all screw up at any kind of given moment when it's live right you know when we ad lib our way through life who knows what will happen that's the whole point um so to get that kind of feedback is a fantastic compass you know it's and i and i think of it as like honing honing a rock polishing a rock you know, you have this raw material, this God-given raw material of interest and ability, a combination which is unique to our, each one of us. And if we polish that rock and we look at that rock and we work with that rock, it will become a diamond. And, and that's really, I think, the quest for all human beings 
um, that want to rise above drudgery, rise above being a nameless uh, number on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oi. Oi. Bugger. <laughs> oh. Something's going, on, something's going on in internet land I today. Just, I'm, I'm ripped out uh, of my, uh, my zone. I was completely entrenched in listening. I know. Uh, let's give her a chance to come back on again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's to try and think. Um, okay, well, let's, let's find a question. Let's find something to talk about. That would be nice. Well, I, then we could carry on talking about that. I, I mean, I was going to kind of exp expand the question a little bit because we've touched very, very faintly on schooling, you know, and I think what a lot of what Anne was talking about, it, it does have to start early. You know, they, mm -hmm. there is something about the actual physical, and I use the word and I don't mean it in, I don't mean to kind of be insulting because I, I experience it myself. It's a sense of work being drudgery, you know, the stuff that can probably be automated and that will be automated. But there's, a, there's, there's not, only, not only a skill set involved in doing something, that Anne was describing. I think there's a mindset. I think it's about what 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 formative um, environments do we bring people into that allows them to have their minds be open to something other than you know rem remembering things to pass exams so that you can get a good job and da 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 da. There, there is something about um, you know you see you see uh, so the essence of it in places like Montessori schools where you know children are encouraged to um find the things that they are passionate about and find the things that they're talented at and to to you know express their humanity so i think it starts even younger than going in and working with workplaces and trying to change those systems there's, there's a question i think about the whole of society that needs reimagining uh, that, it, that, that goes to the uh where you start on a young age uh with changing the way people think and the way people react to the transformation that we're going through uh, in the digital age if you're not educating young enough if you don't if you don't adapt as a uh, as a people to that then mm. um, i mean one of the problems that 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 i've heard about before is the way that people are being, managers are being taught in business school how to do business or how to uh, behave yourself in a company, how to treat mm -hmm. people. And if you don't, if you, if you don't change that on, at, uh, at, at training level, at schooling level, college, mm -hmm. university, whatever, then you're not going to be able to, um, I'm going to open up a seat for... Mm -hmm. um, then you're not going to be able to change that in the future either. Mm -hmm. It's and it's it's more than shifting high again, and we sort of continued on because I, I was um, engrossed in what you were saying, and my mind kind of <laughs> to reimagine just like you. Because I think you, you're you're um, your call to reimagine things is not just about work; it's reimagining the whole world that we we live in, and it starts earlier on, I think, and. Where I, my mind went to was reimagining education systems as well, like starting at the beginning, because a lot of that stuff that does go on in the day-to-day -day workplace uh, it comes from an expectation that we're given from the age of six when we enter schooling that this is just the way things will be. Can I get? And, a, and I was thinking that there's there's you know, there's seeds of something like in the Montessori system where you you 
you are you are kind of immersed in a, in a context which says you have some essence, some unique essence, some unique humanity. Let's see where we can find it. Let's find your talents. Let's you know bring out. You know the original meaning of the word educate is to bring out, not to kind of pour stuff in. So that's kind of where I went after after um, you disappeared. Yeah. This to me, and I'm sorry, I don't know what happened there. I think I broke the internet, but anyway. So um, ah. <laughs> this, uh, that's possible. This, you, you know, we've got this massively influential new ingredient in our lives when we look at the internet. And I, being perhaps um, because I'm a female, you know, I, I think about that influence very, very much as a kind of parental influence in a way. You know, we, it is guiding and shaping and forming what we are influenced by, what we choose to focus on in a, in a way that is, you know, ma- massively imprinting uh, itself upon us. And we have to be aware of that. You know, I don't think we're even at that stage where we're aware that we have choices. So when we grow up, you know, as children, as when we start to individuate, we, we begin to create a sense of an ego. And for right. me, the world of the selfie is that initial exploration. It's like when a child sees itself in the mirror for the first time and we're going, look at me, who, who am I? You know, let's take a selfie. And, and, and we've got this kind of almost necessary um, narcissistic blip going on, you know, as we begin to recognize and co-recognize one another but that is not the whole story Um, we have to i think quite quickly smarten ourselves up and think right well where we choose to put our attention is going to shape exactly what we become Um, and exactly what we become is as open and as rich as we want to make it Um, but we have to think about the role that we're going to play that that gives us and our and our you know people that we're connected to a sense of worth and value our digital footprints tell us an awful lot about ourselves. Ask any employer who's heavily invested in tracking the digital footprints of their employees, and, and you know we'll know that to be the truth. There are privacy issues, boundary issues, uh, all, all sorts of socio-economic contracts which we're still wrestling with here. But um, that that sense of being tramlined into various catechisms is a, is a complete redundancy. It's an irrelevance in a world mm. which is as rich and as, as you know huge as the one that we're now dealing with but there's that, that that word that you you keep using is one that's dear to my heart which is choosing choosing and choice and mm-hmm. freedom are central to the work that i do and it's we have to we haven't yet got like you say and i kind of acknowledge again what you said earlier we're very early early days we've just taken baby steps but we all have to acknowledge that if we are now able to make choices one we have got to develop some ways of a compass you know as set of morals or ethics or something where does that come from um but we have to be aware that other people are also going to be make choices and we have got to come i guess get comfortable with the fact that other people are making choices where even 20 years ago so many things we didn't even have to consider making choices about you know the the decisions about where you went to work and how that happened and what work looked like and what education looked like our choices were generally kind of limited compared to what we're beginning to see glimpses of in the future. So the fact now that the conformity is is um, being challenged and in some places melting away, it's great if I can choose. But the one thing I keep coming back to is how, how can I be okay with you making the choices that you've made and coexisting on this one planet? And, you know, I, keep, I, I often come back to Carl Sagan's, you know, one pale blue dot thing. Mm. And he said, you know, one pixel – in that picture, one pixel, on that one pixel, rivers of blood were shed 
for some of the stupidest ideas in history on that one pixel. And we have got to learn how to, how to be, there's a mindset, I think, in being, you've made some choices and I get to make some choices. Hey, can we perhaps be coexisting together and be okay with the choices you've made? Because, yeah, I'm not going to abdicate my choices anymore to the school, the government, the boss and things like that. That, I think, is one of the biggest things that we need to come overcome as, as well. How to be better people with each other. At the end of the day, what lies behind all of our belief systems and what they, you know, what they mean to us are our values. What do we value? And I, I get excited when I see um, initiatives taken towards talking about, you know, a global value system around what we value. We've got this absolute melting pot of ideologies clashing happening i mean we can see it in front of our eyes every day you know there's a a fight for a dominant narrative yeah and i and i fear i fear for where that fight for a dominant narrative will go but i i think it's i think it's an erroneous fight i don't think we need to have that fight because because behind that fight is a sense of what we value and we're not really talking about what we value and if we were to talk about what we value, I think more, we'd, we'd get to a, a sense of synthesis, which would make more sense. You know, wow. it, the, the kind of idea that um, there's a win-lose didactic here all the time. Somebody yeah. wins, somebody else loses. I mean, obviously, when it's all connected, that's not going to work. You, yeah. you know, that, that, that's, that's always going to be a bit of a dead end. So there, I think there's something that goes beyond that, which is how do we create a bigger pie how do we um, share that pie uh, more equitably? How do we um, learn to love the word enough? I think that's massive, um, you know, and, and uh, for me also, how do we resist some of the siren calls of technology um, so that we understand the value of slow, for example? Yeah. We, we, you know, if we're, if we're in a race competing with machines, we, you know, we need to know we're going to lose that we're race. We're going to lose that, that race. That, that's not going to work out, right? So um, we, we need to let that stuff happen at the speed of whatever um, and, and embrace the, you know, the benefits that that brings. But the human being is a slow, reflective creature at its most connected. Hmm. Um, and, and so there's certain things that we need to kind of almost – push back against as we grow as digital humans um, and those sorts of things, oh. the the ability to focus on our own paths without being unduly influenced, to understand that the boundaries within us, um, you, you know, there may be more things which are connected to us, but we, you know, we need to be closer to our core as a result. Um, those sorts of reflective moments, um, the meaning, the meaningful concert that we have, you know, with one another um, augmented by technology, but not obliterated by it. That mm. trying to find that balance. Um, that, that to me is all part of a um, conscious conversation, which we need to begin to have more. You know, we we haven't even started to have a conversation much about. All right, so we are digital humans. What mm. do we choose for ourselves to use? You know that word again. What do we want? Because we can actualize pretty much anything. We can, you know, chuck it off a three D printer if we want to. Um, we can do anything we want. So with that power comes a certain amount of responsibility and accountability and, and to start to show, you know, how we can create 
um, equitable, lucrative, viable, sustainable, uh, joyous um, existences would be the thing. I don't, I don't care about having a 200-foot yacht. I don't care about having stuff I'll never be able to need or use. I'm very happy with the, with the concept of enough. Some people are less so. Um, but, but, you know, there's a, 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 I've got a, um, a big thing about the minimum viable human. You know, if we were to look at what, what it takes to create a, a minimum viable human existence and what would be a good enough one and anything else on the tops of cherry, you know, there's, there's masses that we could do to alleviate poverty, suffering, war, discrimination, prejudice, uh, bullying. You know, all of these things are deeply unhappy. People carry the scars all their lives. It really simply doesn't have to be like that. Um, and we're intelligent, smart enough, civilized enough creatures to be able to create a world which, which moves things on. Mm. Yeah, we can, we can be breathtakingly clever and breathtakingly silly. It is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that now that we're we're having all these digital tools and the internet, well, I guess I can know the answer, that all these things that you just mentioned, especially in the last paragraph, uh, are being amplified, they're being enhanced uh, due to the internet. I mean, everything blows up. And... Um, uh, sometimes in a literal sense, but mm. everything is being exaggerated, pulled out of context because of that. That's a bit yeah. of an exaggeration. <laughs> See what you did there. Yeah, very clever. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, I was making a point, John. <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. I mean, everything is being exaggerated. My, my, uh, my, my question or my remark would be, um, uh, do you think that we, because now we're doing that, but we're not really sure something we go, do you think we, we have to go there first in order to come out on uh -huh. top, a sort of Star Trekian philosophy behind it, in order to, to really embrace our, uh, our, our future technology human uh -huh. race, which, you know, in 100 years or 200 years, if we haven't annihilated ourselves yet, or is it something that we actually are capable of just climbing up and keeping that program and just tra transcending and just transcending? Yeah. yeah. I heard a word. I heard a word. I think it was two days ago. And I thought, oh gosh, it. Uh, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for somebody to come up with a word like it, really, in a way, which was neo medieval. And um, you know, I'm kind of. I'm very concerned about the missteps that we might take in order to get to the, you know, the way forward. And uh, I think part of that at the moment certainly seems to be a march towards some sort of dark age, dark ages, where we, we throw off the potential in the face of the fear of change. You know, so, so we've right. seen it, we've seen it with social media. We've seen it with business models. We've seen it in a number of ways. We've seen it with privacy laws. The Snoopers Charter. We, you know, we've 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 seen the the reactionary forces um, say, sorry, but the fear of change is greater than the opportunity of change. You know, let's not be rash and stupid. Um, let's legislate against you know what might happen um, in in such a way as actually the permissive society that we used to have is actually you know in some ways a, a bit of a quaint memory, and um, I don't think that's helpful. I think that we have to have you know, really grown up, mature conversations about the opportunities here and the existential questions that come along with that. Um, and when and when people do use the word 
neo-medieval. And when people like David Mitchell talk about the internet as being a barbaric place, I think they're onto something. You know, mm-hmm. this, this oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of huge pressure of being pushed up against one another in a world where, you know, there is a scarcity of resource quite clearly because of the rampant way that we've abused the resources that we have in some places. Um, it needs a level, you know, we need to level out from that. So that's why, personally, I'm a fan, a massive fan of data and data logic. And um, and I think of the internet as a sort of biological intelligence where we can start to look at what's really going on, you know, in the same way as, uh, and I talked about this when I, I did my, um, when I did my TEDx talk in, in 2010, talked about oh. the crude way that a, a doctor would... Um, you know, cut off a leg uh, without oh. really knowing the full uh, detail of the symptoms because they didn't they didn't have the, the technology they didn't have the yeah. the, the biometrics to understand. Mm. And I think we're kind of there a little bit at the moment. You know, the the chances are that we might chop off some really useful parts of our civilized existence um, because we don't really look at, at the deeper level of understanding that we could have at our disposal. Mm. 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 Is that, yeah, for me, a little bit of that kind of feels inevitable because like I was, I mean, I guess what I was saying, you know, we can be breathtakingly stupid as well as breathtakingly clever. I think there's, yeah, I think that some of that, we, we may just cut some of that off anyway. Um, That's depressing. It is. De- it is. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, I don't mean it from a depressing from a depressing angle, because you, you started off by saying I'm concerned, and I'm concerned, but I'm concerned. I'm not worried. I'm not depressed about. I think, um, I think it'll just be part of the learning process that we go through. You see what I mean? I'm, uh, it's like we, 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 won't, we won't have some stuff because we've been dumb enough to dispense with it, but we won't, know, we're not, we won't miss it because we won't have it. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Because we're st- we are finding our way through all of this stuff. We're making it up as we go along. We're going to leave that up to the alien anthropologists, where they uh, going to find out that all the stuff that we could do but we didn't do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's going. Yeah. Okay. Come so back on no, again. I, I think I think we you know the question for me is if we make some missteps. How do we get to a point of realization that that has been the case? Because exactly. you know, there's there's no there's no real way of yeah, remembering. That's, that's right. Yeah. You know, unless unless we kind of start to think about what we do want and work towards that, and think, well, how far are we towards getting towards that? So things like the Web We Want movement is is part of that. You know, I think yeah. we we have to have um, a kind of a candle, an imaginative candle in front of absolutely, us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that first bit is the key bit though, is we have to have a sense of what we want, even though we can't be entirely clear because we haven't got there yet. We have to have a sense that over there is the promised land mm. and, and, it, and it's got some, some characteristics and it's got some, it's got a flavor of this and it smells a bit like this. Absolutely. Without, without us being, having that, those conversations, I think that that's, that's what would depress me if we're yeah. just sort of blundering into this, lovely, bright, shiny thing because we can see pictures of cats. Well, the thing is, you know, we're all co-creators here. And yes, I mean, there, may yes. be, there may be people listening to this who go, oh, gosh, that's terribly naive and idealistic. And, you know, they may, they may be right. But, but actually, the, the big thing I've seen, I've studied a lot, you know, literally more than 600 organizations in depth over the last four years, looking oh. at how they are adjusting to things like digital media 
And the thing which is it's kind of come to for me is that it really does boil right down to individual levels of skill. You, you know, we've, we, yeah. we create a log on to Twitter or LinkedIn in a moment. But when it comes to reshaping how we then conceive of organizations, business models, the skill to jump right in and explore, you know, new platforms like this. I, I haven't used Blab before. It's in beta. I've been chucked off it twice, you know, while we've been doing this podcast. But but the idea is that, you, you know, there's no there's no get it right first time kind of that's, ethos that's anymore. The yeah. um, there's, there's all sorts of ways of connecting and leading, which I've been fortunate enough to have been experienced, you know, been exposed to by, by brilliant people. Um, we, we all grow from the connections that we have with one another. But when you're doing a, it's not even a nine to five job anymore. It's more like an eight till nine job. You know, when you're doing that and you don't know which way is up, uh, when, um, and I know people, you know, who have been working in blue chip companies head down, uh, going full tilt for years, only to be downsized and chucked out. You know, at what point in all of that do they get a chance to really truly understand what they uniquely bring? It takes a while. You know, how do they find that space when they're worried sick about whether or not they'll pay their mortgage? Yep. There isn't the room. You know, these are the things that we've got to address. I, I feel that um, you know, one of the most pernicious things in all of this is the is the whole question of debt slavery. You know, whilst we're being a bit avant garde on the subject, you know, if you if you're kind of having to pay a mortgage and you're really really worried about how you stay standing, and you're trying to switch into a whole new world at the same time, that is a daunting prospect. Yeah. And I don't see a huge amount of you know, positive support coming from the sort of paternalistic agencies in the world that are really opening up the avenues there. Um, so things like micro entrepreneurship do kind of help, you know, so certainly it's a way better way of looking at it than a zero hours contract. Um, yeah. and, 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 you know, it is, I think it, it behoves people like us who uh, we, we, you know, we're not the behemoth uh, industrial sort of moguls we're not we're not you know desperately worried about whether or not we'll be chucked out of our home in the next two weeks um we're kind of somewhere in the middle and it's it's our opportunity and our great privilege i think to try and forge a way yeah. that will help others yes, that's yes, certainly yes. what i'm that's what i'm about yeah. you know i mean yeah. I, think, I think to to um i learned i learned kind of quite early on it doesn't. It doesn't matter if you are raising children or, or or leading many people. You know, if you touch one person, if you inspire one person, you know, in their lives, if they remember that little contact, that little moment, as I do, as I know that you know, there are people who've radically altered the course of my life through a little change that I I will always be grateful for. You know, if we do that for people, just by dint of who we are, yeah. we've done a lot in the world, yeah. and that has never been more needed. Yeah. Um, you know, for us all to create, and I talked about it a while ago with the Peterson project, you know, to create some sort of healing, supportive mesh, you know, the, the kind of pelvic floor that kind of carries us towards this next chapter. That's really important because there are a lot of people going under metaphorically, spiritually, uh -huh. economically, uh -huh. you know, let's not kid ourselves that the figures are looking great. You look at the FTSE, you look at, you know, the diaspora, you look at all of these things. We, we need to figure out how, and we can figure out how by sharing what we know with one another in helpful ways. Yes, that's right. Exactly. And then having conversations about that and saying, tell me a bit more about that. How, let me see it from your way. What can we create anew? Uh, absolutely. I'm, that's, that's what I'm about as well. Yes. Me too. How, 
I'm, my mind has kind of gone now, if I can bring it into your ceramics. How, 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 how does, in your mind, it all fits? Like, I know that the, the bizarre range of things I do with my day, it all fits. With your lovely bread. Well, the bread, the gardens, my dogs, the, and the range of other things that I do. How does, yeah. how does it kind of fit in this picture that you're painting of, of, of the world, Anne? Well, I tell, I'll tell you what. So I, I um, after I, I did, uh, you know, quite a significant stint at Saatchi and Saatchi, I went to St. Martin's School of Art and I took a fashion degree, which was my second degree. So I'd always been really, I really struggled with the idea of, do I do an academic serious business course or an artistic, you know, direction? And I always wanted to do both. So um, I've, I've always worked with materials. And uh, a couple of years ago, I realized that I hadn't worked with clay before. And so I wanted to explore it and it bit me really hard. But I, I tell you, there is nothing more pleasurable that I've experienced in the last few years than being able to drink uh, a cup of tea in the morning out of a mug that I made and have breakfast out of a bowl that I made. And um, that sense of, of making, you know, is, is really important to me. Clay is a, a fabulous fabric. I mean, it's just the most wonderful material there is on this earth. And I mean that literally because it reconstitutes itself. You know, you can make a pot uh you can you can um turn it back into a soft you know slippy mulchy pulp you can um make a pot which will last millennia uh you know there's something really fundamental about yeah. about working with clay so um it represents a, a very kind of primal sense of of my own creativity mm. and what i found through the throwing and stuff is that my stuff is is quite earthy it's quite kind of it's got this kind of very basic earthy type of style to it it's not overly decorative or anything like that so um i i find it very therapeutic but also it's the natural antidote to me of the digital side of of what i do um the artisan is is hugely important i think economically now um there was a, a great piece that somebody wrote on medium recently which is uh you know, if we're going to help our children deal with the future, then we need to really help them right. become more creative. And I totally agree with Absolutely. that. I think the one thing that the robots won't be able to do is is that sense of high, the higher level of human expression, yeah. which is artistry. Yeah. Um, so, so from that point of view, it's important. Um, and and to help anybody kind of find their um, creative selves, yeah. I think is a is a prerequisite to being digitally. Um, uh, uh, somebody that you know can build an identity, build a uh, a role for themselves online. You know, you, we we create who we are out of our interests, out of our attention, what we like to do, that lovely rich mix. Um, and we think, well, what's needed? What do people value? And we bring that to them. So uh, uh, it, it's all it's all part of of that process for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes complete sense to me. I, I I understand all that stuff. And there's that kind of creative creativity at the core of it, which is about who we are as people. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Because when you interact with a with a you know materials, as you will know as well, with the gardening, you know you're you're having a discourse yeah. with um, your environment, and um, we are at risk of of really losing sight of that. You know, George Monbiot was writing in the Guardian mm. recently about children who grow up with no real sense of of nature. Mm. Um, and I, I used to work, I used to be a brand advisor for Safeway for a, a good number of years. And, you know, the food chain is very interesting to me. And there are a lot of children that don't know what food's in harvest when, for example. Uh -huh. um, this sense of, of how we can really manage our global resources is, is fundamental. Uh -huh. You know, if we, can't, if we can't create a sustainable 
ethical, healthy footprint around what we do, when it's all connected, we're doomed. And yeah. um, we've got the data to to really kind of understand that. But we've also got a lot of forces of, you know, um, existing ownership, if you like, that might feel threatened by that. So we've got to kind of find a way forward, which um, gives gives us a sense of, um, it can be done. You know, it can be done without being too violently disruptive for anybody. And to, to really be able to, to take control of, um, you know, making, creating um, the, the things that we make, the things that we need, how we get it. I, I love the idea of local communities being able to help themselves mm. um, and peer-to-peer networks. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. they really thrive in that kind of artisan environment. Absolutely. And that it's, a, it's very much about tuning into what the, the natural rhythms of of, of the planet and the cosmos without sounding like too much of a hippie. You know, we need to tune into each other. We need to tune into the rhythm, rhythms of the planet as well. So maybe if kids learn that certain things are harvested at certain times of the year, we'll kind of remember there's certain foods that we eat certain times of the year and there are other foods we eat at different times of the year. We just kind of find a different rhythm of living as well mm, and away yeah. from the whole industrial model. Yeah. I mean, the, the machines have kind of taken us a long way. But now I really feel that we've got, you know, we've got this automated world, we've got this grid, and we we are what we upload now. Totally, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so given that all of that's going to be happening, you know, where's the counterpoint? Where's that really human counterpoint? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, And Roger was talking a little while ago about, you know, does it amplify things? My answer to that would be absolutely, I think so. Yeah. I think that, you know, we, we've got this kind of polarization, but it's not either or, it's got to be both. Yes. And, whilst, and whilst the technology is all shiny and new and we get very excited about the latest wearable, you know, what's, what's easy to skip is this kind of heightened sense of humanity, which is yeah. also yeah. equally available to us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing, like, you know, the, 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 the crappy stuff will come out because we've got these platforms for it to come out. It's for us to leap on the let's keep let's try and um, block people and shut people down. And, you know, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole planet for voices for us to be able to hear. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And when you when we think about when I think about the amount of untapped talent, mm-hmm. the untapped talent, um, even at Calais, you know, the untapped talent, oh, wherever God, you look, yeah. what are we doing? What are we doing? Mm. You know, we we have got so many um, problems that we could solve by putting our minds to it. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Ra- rather than kind of finger pointing about who's responsible for the problem. And certain types of people and certain classes of people are capable of solving these problems and other people are not, even though we're both, we're all subjected to the same things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm aware of the time, and also Rocky seems to have disappeared. He's trying to come back, but I, I think we've probably done our dash for this conversation. Yeah, it's been a it's been a real joy having you here and and having the conversation and hearing hearing you speak about the things that um, get you out of bed in the morning. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I, I I love your podcast, and and thank you very much for the opportunity to be part of it. Oh, look, it's a real pleasure. Um, at some point, we'd like to invite you on again and maybe have a conversation with you and Simon because I'm yeah. deeply fascinated by what you're doing with the self-agency. Happy to do um, that. Yeah. And I, um, I will certainly be um, kind of publicizing that for you because I think that work is really important. It's Thank actually you. sitting alongside all the stuff that I'm passionate about. So Brilliant. All, all the best for that. Well, it's been really good fun, and uh, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about the big, the big, the big subjects. We've really covered quite a few today. We have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks again, Anne. Thanks to you both. Bye now. Bye. Bye. Bye.